0: Welcome back to the Wrong Advice Podcast. I'm your host, John Pacuto, and I'm very excited to have the one and only Mr. You're Terrific on Instagram and YouTube, a watch connoisseur. Uh, and Evan, I'm extremely excited to have you on the podcast today. How are you doing today?
1: I'm great. I'm excited to be here. I um, I have a lot of things to say about watches, but also other things. I'm not a, a one-trick pony. Um, maybe two tricks. <laughs>
0: Uh, that's awesome. Uh, tell me a little bit about, uh, you, your life, um, how you got started as, you know, Mr. You're terrific on Instagram and YouTube and sort of your journey into the watch world and content creation.
1: Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, I'm probably talking to you because you either know my videos on YouTube or, you know, my Instagram account um, I don't – hopefully you don't know me in any other way because that would tr- be troubling. <laughs> and you don't want to do that. Um, troubling for you. Um, I got into watches, I don't know, maybe 12 years ago um, and started collecting them. And as I was collecting them, I realized that the most useful tool I had when making a decision about watches was video. So I would just go to YouTube and see these terrible videos of people – holding their iphone or whatever and then rotating a watch or showing your watch on their wrist um and i was like boy the bar is pretty low for some of these videos Mm -hmm. maybe (laughs) maybe i could do better and that's not like those were useful to me so i got a lot out of those but i was like man there could be some presentation involved there even could be some production value um so i started with a with literally my phone on a tripod. And if you go back and see some of my old videos, it's terrible. (laughs) Uh, But as I, have over the years, I don't even know how many years I've been doing this, I kind of learned some things about video editing and how to use audio editing software. And it's been a really fun journey for me. And my hope with my YouTube channel at least is that I can provide that same thing, which is when someone wants to learn about a watch, they can do a search and find my videos for years to come it's I'm not trying to make money I'm not trying to get followers which I think gives me a lot of freedom to just have my own voice I don't really care if people don't like what I say or how I say it (laughs) Um, I just want to have that resource there for like for anyone who's interested eventually
0: I think that altruistic sort of mentality is what comes through in your videos, um, and I also think it's part of the fun when you directly respond to some of the comments that you get on your videos in YouTube. Um, but it's sort of that education-first mantra of yours that I think probably initially drew me into uh, your YouTube account. Um, I want to say I probably started following you four or five years ago-ish. Um, I can't remember exactly what the video was, um, but you had um, a comparison of two watches. Um, I do remember what it was. It was the PAM 111, and it was either your first video about it, or I was going down a Panerai rabbit hole, and I wanted to purchase my first Panerai, and I found your video, and then I found funny comments that you responded to in some other videos, and then I was following you, and then I traveled over to Instagram and you have a very clean aesthetic when it comes to your Instagram page. And I just really enjoy your YouTube videos. I think they're very fun. They're very educational. um, and that comes through in the content that you produce, um, which is oftentimes maybe brushes up against the watch, uh, industry as a whole, um, which I appreciate.
1: I, I started out just, um, trying to be fully informational and trying to like I don't know. I was trying to be other channels or something. Mm -hmm. And I realized that like, hmm, how to say this information and production value is not a personality. Yes. That's, that's not, I mean, those are nice qualities, but that's not what makes something interesting. Always. Mm -hmm. Um, like I look, there's some, there's some great creators. Um, and often I think, some people go too far. I know there's some guys out there that are just all personality. That's why you watch people watch your videos because they're just crazy. What's he going to say next? Yeah. And then there's other videos where it's like, wow, this looks beautiful, but I don't know who you are and I don't know what you stand for. And I think there's, I want to find a middle ground for me because mm-hmm. that's the kind of thing I like watching.
0: Yeah, I think what's nice about your videos is that because you come from it from an educational perspective and not a I'm trying to sell you something perspective, that comes through, right? So like people are more likely to want to come along for the journey because you're providing a service that doesn't necessarily match up with something that comes from... Uh, you know, a monetary perspective, which is nice. Um, you said your watch journey started about 12 years ago. What was the watch uh, for you that sort of kicked off your addiction? And I will say it is an addiction.
1: <laughs> it is, yeah. It's an addiction, and it's probably one of the healthier ones, but it's there, yeah. Um, I, It's funny. The watch that kicked my, off my collection was a watch that didn't exist at the time, which was... the. Uh, a watch from Apple. It okay. was an Apple watch. And it was before these existed. And I've always been into technology. I work in software. Mm-hmm. And I've always been into computers and tech. And I knew Apple was going to come out with a smartwatch eventually. And so I was like, whenever they come out with that, I'm going to buy it because I'm a fanboy. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I said, well, let me get used to wearing a watch. It's been a long time. And I pulled out the only watch I owned, which is a two tone. Tag Heuer professional quartz diver from
0: 1991.
1: Nice, my my dad gave to me when he got bored with it, and I put it on, and I wore it for a few days, and within a few days I was like, "Oh my god, I like watches," (laughs) and like I don't know that I'm ever gonna buy this theoretical Apple watch that ever happens. This is cool, and that's that's the watch that kicked it off. So it was really sweet that it was one from my dad, and not even like an I mean, it is an heirloom, but it wasn't intended as that. Sure. Uh, and i it's actually the watch I got married in because it was, it was the only watch I owned. Oh, that's awesome. And I, I cherish that thing. It's uh, So two-tone means it's steel and gold. Uh, I know a lot of, hopefully, like, you don't focus on watches no. exclusively or even much. So gold and steel watch uh, from 1991 with a mustard dial, like, Could be considered ugly as fuck, but I love it.
0: I think that's awesome. Um, I too am an Apple fanboy. I am currently rocking the Apple Watch Ultra. Um, Whoa. Yeah. My uh, my own personal watch journey has many ebbs and flows. Um, my personal uh, working life has been chaotic just in the last two years. So a lot of my grail pieces have come in and out of my collection over the years just based on a, on a monetary perspective. Um, I've had the privilege of owning a, a Submariner, the PAM 111, um, you know, I had a Daytona. Uh, you know i've i've gone through every sort of conceivable uh, collecting uh, aspect of the watch hobby. Um, but for, you know, all intents and purposes, I'm, I'm a one-watch guy. It happens to be the Ultra. Um, I've got a few watches in my collection that I mostly keep from, uh, just from like an investing perspective. And like, uh, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of Hodinkee and all that they do. I've bought a lot of their limited edition uh, pieces that I haven't made the step into wearing yet, um, just because I, I, I appreciate them a lot and they're sitting in my safe. Um You started your journey with a two-tone Hoyer. I've been lucky enough to sort of follow your collecting journey um, from afar. Um, The current state of your watch collection is pretty awesome, if I do say so. I think you've got some really awesome pieces um, that, you know, any watch collector would be envious to have. Um, Of your collection, as it currently states, do you think you own your Grail watch? (laughs) Uh,
1: uh, Well, okay, so... This is an interesting conversation. A grail anything. And I think um, anyone who collects things is probably familiar with this concept theoretically. So, you tell me what you think a grail is. What's a grail?
0: So, for me, my grail anything is something that is slightly out of my reach. But if a multitude of things fall into the right place, I make enough money, I'm enough comfort in my life that I can afford to make a splurge on something that is wholly outside of like a normal purchase. Um, that would be considered a grail.
1: Okay. Some people define grail as like, this is the last one. This is the goal item, which I don't, I don't think exists. Like you think your brain is that developed that you could get a thing and then be like, Oh, I'm done. (laughs) No, you're, you're a human and you have a, you have a weird brain. And as soon as you get that thing, you're going to want more. Yeah. So I like your definition because yours actually exists. Um, I it, hmm, I don't know yeah I don't have a grail I have watches that I love that I don't think I'm going to buy
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, there is a watch that was a collaboration between two brands uh, uh, resins mm-hmm. which is a brand that makes wild I don't know it's hard to describe so cool. but it's not a watch it doesn't have hands mm-hmm. I'll say this it has rotating discs uh, that tell the time and The collaboration between that brand and a designer named alan silberstein Mm -hmm. and they made a watch together which is um it's red it's got black red yellow blue and it's about the passage of time it is a memento mori a reminder of death and they only made like boy 50 100 and they were gone immediately
0: yeah and
1: not only that but they were like 22 grand a piece yeah so between those two factors i'll never get it yeah but i wish i could
0: they uh they're just a a wholly unique brand i love what they do i find it remarkable from a tech perspective like just the process in which they manufacture their watches um no one would know what the hell like if, if you showed your essence on your wrist someone be like hey can you tell me what time it is they'd be like um yeah i cannot <laughs> <coughs> which i think is kind of cool and i think that is also like it doesn't surprise me that that would be up there as your girl because you certainly have an affinity for the unique um and the different um Please, if you can, explain to me your affinity and love for the Omega Pro, Ploprof.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> the
1: Ploprof is a watch that, um, huh, it looks like, how to describe it? It kind of looks like a large tank. And I don't mean tank like Cartier tank, but it looks like an actual tank that you would see. Yeah. But uh-huh. it's, um, it's very angular. It's huge. It's, um, massive. What, 18 millimeters thick, 55, 50, maybe 52 millimeters wide across the wrist. Top to bottom, it's 48 millimeters, which makes it wearable, and it's in titanium. So, this is a massive watch that has weird protrusions on the left and right sides. And I love it because it's so bizarre. Yeah. Uh, it's a dive watch, but I am not a diver, and especially not a diver that would need a watch like this. This is for someone who's like in a submersible. At the bottom of the fucking ocean, <laughs> and that ain't me, and it's never gonna be me, because that sounds terrible. <laughs> but I like it because it there's a little bit of history to it. Um, it was one of the first watches with a helium escape valve mm-hmm. uh, in the early '70s, although Rolex beat them to it. Um, and it's so it's just strange looking, and I like that. And I've I don't think I would like strange watches if I hadn't owned all the normal ones okay. before interesting like if i had never had a submariner i would that's what i would be after mm-hmm. if i'd never had a royal oak i'd probably be after that mm-hmm. but I've, i feel like i've gone through all of the names um which is fucking just, it's just pure luck like i'm sorry like <laughs> i have this thing about i think most of the things people have in their life are from luck and i'm sure oh, we yeah. all work very hard at certain things but not everything. Yeah. Some things you just didn't earn and I feel like I didn't earn a lot of the watches I have. Hmm. So I just want to put that out there. That's just how I feel about my collection. I'm just lucky. Oh. Uh-huh. So I've had all these watches and I've I've experienced the the famous ones and the normal ones and the expected ones. And so I just want different things.
0: Yeah. I think that's cool. I think, you know, I'm 36. I'll actually be 37 in two weeks. I think I've reached that point in my collecting journey as well. Um, I don't, you know, I have a reoccurring conversation with my cousin on a weekly basis. Like, what is our three watch collection? What is our five watch collection? Like, what does it look like? What does it feel like? And it's funny because I've had the pleasure of owning some really remarkable timepieces, watches that I've loved, watches that I've hated. And I still, that three, five, whatever the number is that I, we find around and and come up with on a weekly basis changes all the time. And I think that just speaks to your idea of luck because like, you know, who knows what I will have the ability to purchase in the future and and whatnot. Um, To me, I'm I'm, I'm finding a much more interesting connection with items in my life. Like I like shooting with a 35 millimeter film camera that my father gave me because there's a connection there. Um, I shoot with a medium format Hasselblad because I like the idea that this you know, not this particular model, but this camera went to the moon. There's something cool about it and historical about it. Um, Plus the sound of the mirror when you, when you fire off a shot is, is fantastic. Um, But I agree with you. I think there's something um, to be said about creating something that's sort of different from the Instagram aesthetic and something that is wholly your own.
1: Yeah. And maybe most people have to go through that, other phase first. Mm -hmm. I'm sure there are people smarter and more mature than me that didn't have to. (laughs) Like it was enough just to see all these other things, all these other styles and all these other watches to know that they wanted something different. But for me, I had to be like, why is everyone love a Submariner? Well, let me try it for a while.
0: Mm -hmm. I liked my Submariner. I, I, I think my big problem with what the watch world right now is, and it's just been in the last five years has everything has gotten insane about the marketplaces. They're, they're just everyone has the same stuff, right? And I, and I like the idea of being a little bit different and wearing something else, which is what originally drew me to the Panerai, um, because nobody wears Panerai. I don't ever see people in Panerai, And I think having something unique, which is cool, um, spoke to me a lot. Um, you have the ability to influence people with your photography, with your YouTube, and your feelings on watches. Um, Do you feel any sort of, maybe not sense of responsibility, but talk to me about like what goes through your mind when you're creating a video, whether you love a watch or hate a watch, and what that sort of content can be received at in the community?
1: That's interesting. Yeah, it's tricky because I don't really want to... I don't want to tell anyone what to buy or not to buy, and I also want to be very supportive if someone likes a thing that they bought mm-hmm. because that's that's the goal. Like, mm, I try – one message that I try to get across in my videos and even on Instagram is there is no good watch or bad watch. There is only good for you or bad for you. I like that. Like, and and there's, you know, you can say, oh, this thing broke, it's bad. Okay, maybe objectively that's bad. But the watches that I'm reviewing and talking about and that people are asking me about, it's like, if you fucking like it, it's good. That's it. <laughs> yeah. like And, you know, you want to take into consideration what the market value is going to be when you resell it? I don't care. I'm not helping you with that. Mm-hmm. But I can tell you that, like, if I'm reviewing a watch or I'm owning a watch and you like it, then it's good for you. Yeah. And that's that's all you need to know. I like that. Um, it's it's hard. It's like... Um,
0: With great power comes great responsibility.
1: <laughs> I guess so. I don't know if that's... I'm neither being powerful nor responsible. But I do... It's like one thing that, that I really want to get across in my videos and people... It's hard to... It seems like in the YouTube comments, which are often a cesspool. Sure. It seems like... Um, people just don't get it. Mm-hmm. Like what do you okay, yeah, you say it's good. If I like it it's good. But but really how is it? Right. But but, but really is it good or not? Yeah, how oh, much
0: are they paying dirt. you to say these nice things about this piece of, you know.
1: Oh, I love those comments. <laughs> I love those comments. I know cuz they end up I, in your next video. <laughs> oh man. I've I never have never will take money. I don't even take watches from brands.
0: Mm-hmm. That's awesome. I
1: all I ask Really, this is what I tell brands when they contact me: is I need the watch for two weeks, and I need you to pay for shipping both ways, and you cannot give me anything else. And I've had brands ask uh, offer me money, I, and I've said no,
0: um, I find, I find which is I weird because can... I'm not a
1: I'm not a journalist. Why Why wouldn't I take the money? Yeah, like I, I have no integrity, but I just don't. <laughs> it doesn't feel right to me. I'm but again, yeah, no, no but, integrity here.
0: I mean, that pushes completely counter to that narrative. You, that sounds like you have the utmost integrity, um, which I, I I commend because that's awesome. I think that's also why, or one of the reasons why I've been drawn to your content just as a fan because you come off very genuine in everything, whether you love a piece or hate a piece, and that's kind of the stuff that you want to consume as a, a person who's scrolling on their phone or watching YouTube. Um, when you have the ability to come off very authentic and genuine about the stuff that you're talking about, it's naturally going to help you build a community of people who follow your stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, thank you. That's nice. Um, I went to, I live in Portland, Oregon, and there used to be an annual conference here called XOXO, mm-hmm. uh, run by a guy named Andy Bayo and Andy McMillan, I think. Yeah. And anyway, the first year I went, it was all about like creators and YouTube. This was 2010 YouTube like channels were kind of just maturing. And all of these speakers said the same thing, which was. Find your own voice, be yourself. And people will find you eventually, Mm -hmm. like it might not be the largest audience, but if you're yourself, then you you know what your voice is. And the people who like that voice will find you and you won't have to deal with like, you know, all this extraneous stuff, which is being inauthentic and then like having a bunch of people that you don't like who are watching your content. Mm -hmm. And it took me a while, but I feel like I'm finally being myself in my videos. And, you know, if that means that not as many people watch it because I'm not like, I don't know, being sensationalistic, that's fine with me.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think it's an interesting time in the content creator world. Um, There's a lot of copycat content creation. There's a lot of mimic trends, mimic what's going on, which can be exhausting. You know, I'm a photographer, a podcast host. Like, these are things that thousands of people are doing on the internet. Um, And at times it can be very uh, difficult for me to try to do my own thing and, like, sort of want to create stuff that's outside of what is getting pushed by algorithms. Um, But at the end of the day, I don't really give a fuck. And I just want to out stuff that i'm proud of and create content that i like um and i think i would kind of say that you uh you do sort of the same thing which is admirable from from my perspective what's your goal with your work <sighs> that's a great question evan um goal uh to just make a, a healthy living um and be happy like I've had a chaotic 2 years of life, right? Like I lost my job in the middle of the pandemic in 2020 and I just sort of had like a mental breakdown of trying to figure out what the fuck I wanted to do with my life. Um and I took a 30-day road trip across the country, just me and my car, and I took up a couple cameras and I sort of just fell in love with photography. So for me, um being able to earn a living full-time as a photographer as I've sort of been doing for the last year and a half, um is my only goal, right? I think getting to align my passions with, you know, making the enough money to survive is the end goal. Um, in terms of like specific dreams and hopes, like you know, I I would love to be a tour photographer. I would love to travel with a band or an artist. Um, I do mostly music and fashion photography. Um, but, yeah, I mean, my goals in life change on sort of a weekly, monthly basis. I'm really just out here trying to survive. Um, I think, like, the long-term growth of my podcast is going to vastly outweigh my photography. So it's like one of those catch-22s where you juggle time and effort and energy and put it where you think it's supposed to go.
1: Hmm. What would be your, your three artists that you'd like to tour with?
0: Ooh. Jeez, who's interviewing who here, Evan? Um, <laughs> uh, let's see. I can go. The dream band would probably be Foo Fighters. Um, they're my favorite band. Um, dream artist probably John Mayer. Um, and then we'll throw out a third of Young the Giant. I'm a big Young the Giant fan. That would be that would be cool.
1: That's the one name I don't know.
0: Oh really? Oh. They, they're fantastic. They're uh, they've been around for a while, but uh, yes, uh, cough syrup apartment. Just they're a wonderful eclectic little uh, rock band, and uh, highly recommend. Uh, I've I've DM'd them on every social media platform. I've reached out to their management team, their label. Um, just dying to to photograph them. Uh, it'll happen. I'm I'm one of those uh, pragmatic optimists where I know good things are coming down the line for me. Both personally, creatively, and career-wise, and, uh, you know, I'm fully ready and open for when those things come to fruition, because I've put a lot of hard work and effort into and energy into what I've been building over the last couple of years, and I have very little doubt in uh, in those things coming through.
1: That's wonderful. There's even there's there's a lot of health benefits to being even a forced optimist like I am. Yeah. Like I I do I believe this nice thing is going to happen to me. No, but I'm going to try <laughs> to believe it. Yeah. And there are even studies like the phys your physical health will benefit from that.
0: Yeah. It's funny because I literally don't you know knock on wood, I literally don't ever get sick. And I think that's part of it. I really genuinely do believe that. I think the brain is a very powerful tool. And if you believe that good things are going to happen to you, they can. I've built some remarkable things for myself in a very short period of time. And it's just because I believe in myself and I believe in my abilities and and the opportunities will eventually come to me because I work hard and I'm putting myself in the right position uh, for when those opportunities inevitably come knocking.
1: There's a beautiful practice in Tibetan Buddhism, Hmm. uh, which I studied for many years, uh, which is something like the inverse of paranoia. So paranoia is, Oh, everyone's out to get me. Mm -hmm. Everything's bad. Uh, This is, uh, this practice is everyone's out to help me. They're secret. They're secret agents. They're like, angels that are out to help me and they're in disguise huh. and when you just force yourself you don't really believe it of course not or i don't <laughs> um but when you just like pretend in your mind you're walking around the grocery store and you're like looking around oh how are these how are these people trying to help me you find ways in which you, what it does is it it forces you to focus on the nice things that are happening instead of the bad things that are happening because you're looking it's like a where's waldo for nice things
0: That's very interesting.
1: It's a beautiful practice. um, And when I can remember to do it, I do. And so this optimism, like I said, like you're just looking, you're always looking for good things in your life and you kind of just ignore the bad ones and it's, it works.
0: Yeah. I didn't realize that I was a closet closet Buddhist, Um, but that tracks that I honestly, that does track. Um, Yeah. It's funny because, you know, like I started this podcast on a whim you know, a year and a half ago, two years ago. Um, and it was originally supposed to be something else. It was like me and my brother were going to start a podcast because we couldn't go anywhere. The world was shut down. And then he got pregnant with his third kid. And he was like, oh, can't do that. So I just started doing it on myself. And, you know, I've, I've interviewed f- photography inspirations of mine like one of my biggest photography inspirations this photographer named stefan Venasco, i had on my podcast he's my friend i've got his cell phone number right like the the ability to build things in your life that you want for yourself is yours for the taking as long as you like work towards it right if you put practical goals in place and 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 strive to achieve those things you can do it and i like to say that i'm living proof of it
1: Mm, that's beautiful yeah you see there i do the opposite i just kind of hope good things happen i don't really work towards them and, it's, and they mostly do yeah <laughs> that's funny. you know i want to tell you that um i saw john mayer for the first time this past summer i really didn't know him and mm-hmm. i didn't go to see his music because it was with the dead and company yeah the dude is a fucking talent
0: yeah yeah i, wow. I i've only seen him i think four times live um yeah i mean grail to photograph him grail to have him on my podcast he is just wildly talented uh huge watch guy which i think maybe partly influenced my initial f- step into watches um you know you know actually i think my my first inspiration from watches came from my cousin uh he, for i want to say like his 22nd 23rd 24th birthday or something like that he got a a bright link super ocean uh, watch which I was just like always so obsessed with I was like oh my god it's so cool so big so chunky so beautiful and I bought my first big boy watch after <laughs> a trip to Vegas I won a couple bucks and I bought a Breitling Super Ocean Chrono um, <clears> and then just from sort of there on my my love for watches existed um, but yeah I mean it, I I think when you're, you're able to like look at people outside of your your sphere of like direct influence whether it be musicians artists actors, actresses, etc. you can get inspiration from that and, uh, you know, hopefully sort of take take those inspirations and, and run with them.
1: Yeah. I, and John Mayer, you know, I really, the first time I ever saw him do anything was on those Hodinky Talking Watches videos. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, I've heard of him. I know he's a musician and he does know a lot about watches and he seems actually kind of funny. And then I saw him play this past summer and he was wearing a Royal Oak, concept uh, yeah was he wearing the concept that one or was he wearing the i have the i took photos <laughs> uh of like the giant screen there in the in the venue i think he might have been wearing the white ceramic uh, perpetual calendar uh, royal oak that day
0: what a what a wild watch
1: what a wild which is watch. i i love that i like ceramic i like white ceramic
0: yeah i own the mm. one of my favorite watches is the john mayer hodinky g shock um, mm. which I love. I missed out on the white one, which I think I would have loved more. Um, I think it's just like a kind of off-white cream color, which I'm a, it just looks great, and I'm so pissed that I didn't get a chance to buy it. Um, but yeah, it's it's just, you know, he's a great dude. I'm, I'm, he, he's one of my big inspirations in life. I, I like him a lot. Um, you mentioned photography. What is it about watch guys and people who love watches that they pretty much always have an additional affinity for photography? <laughs>
1: I I, <clears throat> I think people who are into watches appreciate beautiful design. Oh, that's okay. one of the reasons people get into watches, and people who appreciate beautiful design appreciate photography. Like they like things that look nice. They like uh, things that are that look thoughtful, and so that makes sense. I think it's very similar with cars. Mm-hmm. Um, people who like watches, especially mechanical watches, enjoy. Knowing how things are made, Mm -hmm. the mechanics of things, the engineering of things, and how they look. And so watches and photography, watches and cars, that all makes sense to me.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Um, And I
1: don't consider myself a photographer. I I, do. I don't don't know how to take pictures. Oh, please,
0: Evan, stop it.
1: No, honestly, I'm looking at my camera and I'm like, I don't know what those fucking buttons are. (laughs) I'm, I'm looking at it right now.
0: Okay. Whether you know what the buttons do or not, you have a very keen eye from a photographer's perspective um it actually leads to a good question of mine talk to me about when you're building whether it's your instagram feed or your thumbnails um, what goes into the curation of what you're wearing where you position the watch what you put on the table or don't put on the table what is what goes through your mind when you're sort of creating that stuff
1: Uh, in my instagram photos i try to make it natural Mm -hmm. Uh, i try to sometimes i like to include Things that are real in my life. Maybe there's a child's toy nearby or, I don't know, my keyboard. I'm often at my desk working. Uh, I try not to – I'm not like a, every, like an everyday carry pocket knife kind of guy with a glass of whiskey nearby. <laughs> I don't really drink and I don't have anything to cut. Yeah. <laughs> so I try to make it realistic. In my YouTube videos, <clears throat> it's similar. Yeah. But, um, boy, video was hard like photography is hard but video i mean it's it's 30 pictures a second
0: yeah yeah Uh,
1: and i tried to i took some influence from who's that guy um marquise brownley uh yeah 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 i noticed fellow jersey guy
0: shout out mkbhd love him
1: great stuff everyone has seen his stuff and i just found like his When he was doing kind of top-down shots of products, very clean, a very clean desk, some very vivid colors. I don't know if he's still doing that. And I was like, I want to do that. Everyone else is doing other things and watch stuff, but I want mine to be clean and colorful and just to kind of emphasize how fun watches can be and that they don't have to be about this moody, like, (laughs) look at me, I just got off of a mountain kind of (laughs) thing.
0: yeah uh i appreciate that um i have sort of this weird love hate uh relationship with the watch industry and i think it's mostly because i come at it from more of like a technical perspective like i appreciate what brands are trying to create right um you know when people do things that are different and unique i appreciate that um but it butts up against like typical watch world or you know at least the instagram world where people are just trying to sort of flex and show off what they have and et cetera, like that um what what sort of factors does that play into what watches you review and what watches you make uh content about um in your own personal sort of youtube and, and instagrams world
1: it's tricky because there is a huge demand for the obvious watches from mm-hmm. the big brands and i want to answer people's questions about those things like a lot of people are like how is the new rolex explorer versus the old rolex explorer great
0: video by the way
1: thank you and uh, and and it was really nice for me to review it but a lot of times i'm just like there are plenty of other videos if you want to watch the rolex videos go somewhere else Mm -hmm. um but i but at the same time i want to i want to help people and and i want it but i want to expose them to new brands and new watches so i'm i don't know how to find that balance i'm trying not to um i'm trying not to just take requests but i also want to respect that people for whatever reason want to hear my opinion
0: (laughs) how does that feel to like know that people want to know what you think about something
1: uh misguided (laughs) 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 no 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 (laughs) I, i actually think i get it like i Especially because I go through so many watches, I have, I have three watches from different brands on my desk right now, mm-hmm. and I get to see a lot of stuff that people don't get to see. So I understand that people might want to hear my opinion because I get to experience a lot of things. Sure. Um, but also, I'm not like an industry insider. I don't. I'm not a mechanical engineer, so I can't speak to like the build quality of things or the quality of a movement very mm-hmm. well. Uh so if people understand that my knowledge and exposure is limited, they can find. I'll give them my opinion.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. That's interesting. Um I I was a little I don't want to say surprised, but I was interested that you added a new quartz piece to your collection um from Cartier. Um what was your thought process and what was it about that watch that you fell in love with and wanted to add to your collection?
1: Yeah. Uh, let's see. Over a year ago, I put a deposit down on the new Cartier tank solar beat in the large size, which is not very large. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> for a couple of reasons. I really like Cartier. I Just beautiful designs. They have a, for most of the watches, They have a real um, attention to proportions, which a lot of brands don't have. And maybe it's because they're dressier watches. But I feel like there's a lot of thought going on between the dial size, the bezel size, the bracelet taper. And the Cartier Tank is one of the classic watches, one of the most famous watches of all time. Um, And I also thought it was very interesting that this was a solar-powered watch. Like, Cartier had never done that Uh, Very few Swiss brands have done that. Maybe Tissot only. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just love the idea. And I'd seen photos of Cartier tanks, which is traditionally a dressy watch. I'd seen photos of it worn very informally uh, with with jeans or, you know, a a denim jacket. And I was like, that is fucking cool.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Like take something fancy and dress it down to my style and I wanted to experience that, and the price was good enough. So anyway, I put this uh, deposit down. It took, what, eight months for them to get it to me, and I love it, and I wear it all the time, and it's maybe my smallest watch in surface area or volume. Like you said, it's quartz, which is a bit unusual. Most collectors like mechanical watches rather than battery-powered watches. But I just I, I just adore it. And the price was – when I bought it, it was just under $3,000, which is a ton of money. No one should spend that on a watch. And yet, it's on the lower end.
0: It is it is on the lower end. It, from a price perspective, it's – it correct me if I'm wrong. It is the lowest entry point into Cartier, I believe.
1: It might well, – I mean, I think if you go down to the medium size, oh, okay. it's probably sure. cheaper. But right. yeah, you're right. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, I I do have an affinity for Cartier for that reason. I feel like it's uh, one of those brands that, like you said, you can dress up and dress down a lot. Um, I like the idea of taking something super fancy and classy and dressing it down. Um, like you know, whether you're wearing uh, like I'm into vintage day dates right now. I'm obsessed with finding a white gold day date <clears throat> with like a lot of patina and beat the fuck up. And I'm a jeans and a t-shirt guy. Um, you know, I'm a I'm a sneakerhead. I, I wear a lot of jordans you know i I like the idea of dressing stuff down and then it being elegant enough to wear the one time a year where i need to put on a suit i can still wear the same thing um but yeah i I like that a lot for sure
1: oh man a white gold day-day yes yeah
0: 36 millimeter yeah 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 i uh you know, I've got some big projects in the pipeline, and I'm hoping that the beginning of next year is very financially lucrative for me. And I'm manifesting tons of money, whether I win, you know, the lottery. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Or uh, you know, I've got a bunch of big opportunities coming in front of me, and I'm I'm already pre-planning. You know, what's the watch that I'm going to add to my collection? What am I going to, you know, add to? And and what am I going to buy? And you know, I like the idea. The, my biggest hang up with, uh, you know, current rolex is just the state of the marketplace right the inability to walk into a store and buy a watch is to me by definition insane they produce a million watches a year it's fucking ludicrous that you can't go buy a date just at an ad um i bought my submariner in 2014 and i could have gone to any ad in the state of new jersey and bought the watch it was in five of them there's it's only eight years ago nine years ago Mm. um and to me just you know there are limits to production over COVID and all these things but the rise of the gray market has really sort of thrown me away from new production watches and brands and i like the idea of buying something vintage and old and and making my own story with something that's existed for 20 30 40 years
1: and so what do you think of the latest news from rolex which is um, (coughs) rolex for the first time ever will be selling pre-owned rolex watches which I think for a lot of industries I mean I think car you know, car dealerships do this, but like very few you don't see um, I'm trying to think of something else. Actually
0: That's like about it, Apple? Right?
1: Yeah does Apple they sell refurbished. They do Okay. Maybe it is common. Okay. Yeah. But well, here's the difference is that Rolex will be selling these used watches for more than they will be selling the new watches <laughs> because you can't get the new one.
0: Okay, so I have two thoughts on this, um, and I think it speaks to the industry as a whole. Like, you know, I don't know if you saw like Audemars Piguet recently changed their pricing model, and they're allowing authorized dealers to sell watches for whatever, like the current market price is. Um, it's bananas. It's, it's bananas. It is bananas. Um, especially if you have an, an MSRP on your website, like how can you then walk to an authorized dealer and then be like, Oh, you're, it's 20,000 more than, than what we're asking for it. Um, but I digress. My thought process is, is it's a weird, it's a weird catch 22 because I know why they're doing it and they're doing it so that they can hopefully stem authorized dealers from under, you know, selling their watches to their friends and then getting a cut off of the gray market that inevitably happens. Um, the three-year delay, right? So they're only offering this pre-owned to watches that are three years or older uh, from production timelines. Um, and I and I know why they're doing it. They're trying to, you know, curb the gray market price, and then also give incentive to authorized dealers to stop, you know, selling to straight gray market dealers. Um, I think it will likely not have the intended consequences that they were hoping for. I think it just is going to lead to more. You know craziness in in the in the pre pre you know, pre on marketplace. I don't think it changes sort of anything, um, but yeah, I mean, if you walk into an AD and you're looking for a date just, which is their most common model that they produce tens of thousands of, and you can't buy it new, but they've got the one you want. It's three years old and it's nine or you know 15 percent more than than the new price. You're gonna buy it. It's it's weird. What do you think about it?
1: Uh, I, I didn't know about the three-year thing. That's very yeah. interesting. Yeah, it's three and years. I don't. And maybe do you know, um, is it per AD or do these go back to in the U.S. to Dallas, get service, and then get distributed to other ADs?
0: Great question. I don't know and the an answer AD, to that.
1: If anyone who doesn't know watches is still listening, which you probably aren't, <laughs> AD stands for authorized dealer. <laughs>
0: uh, I don't know the answer to that. My it's an interesting question you know i i wonder you know i had heard over the last few years especially since covid that uh rolex has been wiping out authorized dealers throughout the u.s um and my thought on that was that they were inevitably going to go to the straight boutique model um which is difficult because they have some very high producing authorized dealers throughout the u.s and, and abroad um but as they start limiting the amount of dealers who are authorized by Rolex to sell their watches, it brings up an interesting sort of situation with what they do with pre-owned. Whether you know, our authorized dealer is going to start getting into the purchase game, right? Are they going to start buying used watches? Yeah, it's very, hmm. you know, it's a great question, Evan. I re- you know, hmm, it's interesting.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know. It's possible they could go online. It doesn't seem like a Rolex move. Yeah. I mean, the fact that they have these right now, they have these demo watches in their stores oh, so that funny. you cannot buy. It's so frustrating. <laughs> and, and maybe this pre-owned thing answers that question. Like, why are they doing this? Maybe it's to keep people interested because they knew that there would be availability at a premium eventually.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's very interesting. My biggest issue is that because these are not inherently rare items, right, they're produced at scale to the tune of tens of thousands per year each, um, I have a hard time sort of figuring out, you know, the actual supply and demand of these watches. I mean, I know there are 8 billion people on earth, but how many people are purchasing Rolex watches new from the manufacturer every year? I mean, are they selling really a million watches a year? I mean, I guess they must be, but it's just – it's bizarre. It's a very interesting – They are. Time. Yeah.
1: <laughs> they're definitely selling a million, but the question is um, – To who? <laughs> right. How many people? It's not a million people.
0: Yeah. No, it's not at all.
1: And so I'd like to see that kind of – that histogram, that distribution of who buys – how many people are buying what? Yeah. And if they're – you know, I suspect that there are about 100 people that are buying 100 a year.
0: Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. It's very interesting. Um, I digress. Um, I'm I'm very curious. Uh, you know, I have got this sort of open book mentality when it comes to myself and the internet. Um, you are you're terrific on Instagram. You're you're terrific on uh, YouTube, and you sort of askew... Who Evan is and and what, you know, who that person behind the, uh, I'm using air quotes, mask is. Um, Talk to me what that sort of mentality was when you went to creating the brand. I mean, I'm calling your terrific brand um, and and sort of what your uh, relationship is with social media as you are removed sort of to some degree um, with your content.
1: Mm. Yeah. I never wanted to put my face in a video because one, boof, no one wants to see that. And two, uh, I want it to be about the watches and not my personality. <laughs> I think, I think even with my, my face such that it is, if it was in a video, more people would watch it because it would, might be more interesting visually. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would get certainly some interesting comments, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but I want to focus on the watches and not me so much. Um, and also i'm just a kind of sh- i'm not i'm shy i despite how i might come off on instagram or youtube i i i'm pretty uh private and shy and and maybe i feel because no one's seeing my face that i can be more honest or produce better content somehow I appreciate um that. i i do have friends on instagram and there are certainly YouTubers who use their full name, and boy, I think you could probably find their home address if you wanted to.
0: Yeah, f- and fair.
1: That that's uncomfortable to me.
0: Mm-hmm. That's fair. I, I appreciate that. It, it, it is, uh, yeah, especially when you're you're dealing with high-end pieces, people kind of get the idea of who you are or, or, or what you may have. I, I, I respect that a lot. I think that's, that's totally fair. Um, yeah, fun time in the world for sure. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Oh man, it's so rough.
0: Um, from a from a whether it's a brand perspective, um, whether it's a watch you haven't had in hand yet, or any sort of collaboration um, with another person, place, or thing, uh, what uh, future goals or, or dreams do you have for uh, for the channel?
1: <laughs> goals, please. <laughs> <laughs> no goals. I just uh, I just want to keep. Um, Making videos. I like making videos. I obviously love watches, but I also like producing things. I've always had this uh, compulsion to make things, uh, which is probably why I I make software in my job. I put videos on Instagram. I make videos on YouTube. So goals, nothing. I just want to keep providing videos that kind of inform and maybe even entertain. I don't have like... Like subscriber goals. I don't know how many people subscribe to me on YouTube. Honestly, do not know the number. I don't know how many people follow me on Instagram. I am afraid that if I looked, I would care. So I don't
0: look. Oh, I like that. That definitely is that that goes anti to the typical content creator mentality for sure. I think that also speaks to why your content is so good. Because there is no ulterior motive, right? You're not in it to get rich. You're not in it to get famous. You're in it sheer for the love of creating content uh, and watch content. And I think that's that speaks to why this what you produce is so good.
1: Well, all right. You say so. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: mean, you don't have I, to be are, so humble. <laughs> it's good I'd shit.
1: Some, uh, thank you. I, I I I think if there was a goal, it would be just like. Mm, better and more creative content. Mm-hmm. I don't know how I rarely ha- like I'm, I'm a father of two. God I looks. have a full-time job and I don't have time to really get better, but I really want to like, mm-hmm. there are, I used to have a thing in my videos. I didn't tell anyone this, but it. I have with each video, I have to learn a new skill, like a new editing skill or a new way of photographing things. And I haven't done that in over a year because I'm just, trying to pump things out, huh. but I, I, maybe this conversation will get me back into that. I have to learn a new thing. I love every that. with every video. Yeah.
0: Um, as a New Jersey Italian Catholic, I, I do try to learn something new every year during Lent. Um, you know, most people sacrifice giving up something like sweets or candy or fucking ice cream, whatever drinking, uh, I try to learn something new every year for Lent. I think that's really cool, and I really appreciate that from a, from a video perspective. I, you know, I I try to do that in my everyday life, just trying to grow as a human being. Um, and I also understand why being a father of two would <laughs> impact your ability to do that.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's...
0: I'm I'm an uncle of five, so I, I get it.
1: Oh my goodness! <laughs> yeah, I, I I'm really happy to be a father. I never thought I would be, actually, but I am. Mm-hmm. And I'm. I never. I wouldn't have it any other way. I and in most of the video clips that you would see on my YouTube channel, there is a child trying to talk to me <laughs> outside of the frame. Sometimes in the frame, I don't put that up. But if if I posted the original audio, you would hear a child trying to talk to me.
0: <laughs> That's <laughs> and cute. me
1: being like, "Can you just don't move? Just yeah. don't move."
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's cute. I like that. Um, talk to me a little bit about. Um, you know, you've had the pleasure of handling a lot of watches over the last few years. If you could give me your top three favorite watches that you've reviewed.
1: Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, man. I, hmm. Didn't I make a video
0: about this? Uh, I think you did.
1: do I have to go back to my list. <laughs> I don't know. Uh I I know I did make a video about the top my top watches that I've reviewed that I don't actually own.
0: Yes, I saw that.
1: And my my thinking was that uh, like if I own it, it's obvious that I'd like it. So let's just get rid of those off of the list. Now that I'm thinking about like interesting watches, the first thing that comes to mind is a Parmigiani Fleurier watch.
0: Oh such a fucking cool watch.
1: Parmigiani is like this small Swiss brand. Founded by a guy who's like if you know watches this dude is for real and amazing watchmakers have gone through this company and they sent me a one of their rose gold chronographs a few months ago and i wouldn't own it because it's just too much money and it's too gold and all this but i think about that a lot Mm -hmm. that watch how much i appreciate it without wanting to own it and um parmigiani fleurier is the brand and i'll tell you like a lot of water kind of goes off my back like a duck. No, wait. The water is not like a duck. The water is like off of a duck, duck's back. When it comes to YouTube comments, I'm like, fuck it, whatever. Yeah. But when I see someone comment on Parmigiani that it's like the name of a cheese, I don't know why that makes me so fucking mad. Because <laughs> they don't understand Italian. Yeah. And they're like, it just means it's from Parma.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. But that's a, it's just like,
0: it's not Parmesan. It's one of the <laughs>
1: Right. And it's, I shouldn't say this out loud because now I'm going to get even more comments (laughs) because you're talking about like one of the most respected watch brands and just get over the name, man.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that just speaks to uh, YouTube commenters uh, in in general. Um, But yeah. Um, Talk to me about your morning routine. You go to your watch box. What informs your decision on what goes on your wrist on a daily basis?
1: Oh, boy. Um, well, it depends if I'm leaving the house or not. That's a big factor. I usually work from home. Mm-hmm. I, I do go into the office sometimes. Um, it, a lot of it depends on what I'm wearing that day. Sometimes I'll be like, tomorrow I know I want to wear this thing and what goes with this. Mm-hmm. Um, but often it's most often it's just like, what do I feel like? What haven't I worn? What didn't I wear this week? Because I have, oh god, fourteen watches. Yeah, you know, you hear that in my voice. <laughs> I have fourteen watches, maybe sixteen. I don't know. And so I can go a week or even two without wearing one of them. And sometimes that's really nice. Like absence does make the heart grow fonder. Mm-hmm. Often. And so, it's unfortunately, it's I, I don't have a a more interesting way to say it, than it's just a feeling. Mm-hmm. And you probably know that feeling. Yes. And who knows? Like maybe it's influenced like, well, I watched this movie last night and I ate some ribs. So for some reason I want to wear the Pelagos. I don't know how that works.
0: <laughs> I don't know how that works either. I, I, is the Pelagos strike you as a, a rib eaters watch?
1: <laughs> I guess it does. Cause I just said that, <laughs> you know, it actually does. Like ribs are, are very like eating ribs is, feels like a masculine experience
0: therefore you need like, a nice beefy diver
1: a, a beefy diver yeah and and there's some red on the dial i don't know yeah <laughs> it does kind of feel like that that's interesting that's that's would be a fun experiment to, uh, like an uh, exercise to pair foods with watches some mm-hmm. people actually take pictures of watches on top of food which is Drives something crazy. else
0: yeah that's weird
1: but if you were like if i was like sushi what yeah. would you say for a watch
0: something elegant uh dress watch um something on a leather strap uh yeah probably like a Cartier tank uh Cartier Santos uh maybe the Grand Seiko SBGM21 the GMT something like that mm.
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah that, i def- love that watch
1: Grand Seiko makes sense especially but yeah totally dress elegant
0: mm-hmm. yeah that's an interesting thing hmm. i do i do put some thought process into where I'm going, what I'm wearing, when I pick a watch, um, being that your collection has such breadth, I, I was very curious. You know, especially for someone like you said who works at home, like what goes into the process of picking out what goes on your wrist on a daily basis.
1: Often it is the watch that I have in for review, because I like to wear them and see, like, boy, after a few hours, this thing is uncomfortable, mm-hmm. or I can't read this in certain light. So I, I like to wear a watch for about a week before I even start writing my YouTube review. Really? So, wow. Yeah.
0: That's surprising. I figured it'd be kind of like an, as you go sort of process.
1: Sometimes it is like, I will usually start writing because it is all scripted, but I will start writing with like the facts and the history of the brand. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to how it wears and what I think of it, my opinions, I have to wear it for a while. And which is why I ask brands for two weeks with a watch. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Sometimes I'm really surprised like uh both good and bad. Sometimes after a few days I'm like, "Boy, I this thing is illegible." And <laughs> if you if you just turn this slightly away from you, you can't read it.
0: I want I'm I'm going to say like I don't know if this is a compliment or not. <laughs> but in your videos where you are genuinely surprised by something, I think that's some of your best content. Um, and I think that might just be people in general, right? So, like, if you see a movie you had low expectations for it and it's better than you thought, you're going to be more excitable when talking about it. But I do believe that some of the watches that have surprised you in your you know, review journey um, make for some of your, your best uh, content for sure.
1: Mm, that does make sense, yeah. yeah. It's tricky because I won't, I won't accept a watch to review unless I'm interested in it. Okay. So like, like na- already I have an affinity towards that thing for some reason,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which is why like I, I've heard complaints about about reviews, whether they're written or videos. Which is, well, you like all these watches, like <laughs> in your reviews, you like them all, and it's like, yeah, I that's why I asked to review them. Yeah, um, but maybe I should like. See something that I'm like, boy, that's a piece of shit, and then <laughs> contact the brand and say, hey, can you send me your piece of shit? Yeah, right. Uh, I'm trying to think of what that might be without hurting anyone's feelings right now. I don't know. Maybe I should contact Daniel Wellington.
0: Oh, MVMT.
1: <laughs> yeah, me and be like, all right, send me a watch, and and I could be genuinely surprised. You never know.
0: I probably not, but yeah, <laughs> it seems unlikely. <laughs> um evan yeah i i uh i'm extremely appreciative of you coming on the podcast today i think we could talk for hours about watches and life and uh i'm i've been such a big fan of you for so long that this has been a real treat for me um i've got a very cheesy line if you've been on my podcast you're part of my family and uh, i just want to thank you so much for coming on this has been a real pleasure yeah,
1: thanks for having me. What a what an honor to be even nominated, yet a, <laughs> yet a, even appear. Uh, it's been fun. I've been listening to your show. I really like it.
0: Oh, thanks so much, Evan. Have a great day and uh, enjoy the rest of your weekend.
1: All right. Thanks.